fight And we don't have to kill Everybody in the whole wide world Really just needs to chill No, we don't have to fuss No, no, no Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Just Chill with Oliver George. This is episode number 40 now, and not only did I have a hilarious guest on board for this one, but this is actually the show's first ever return guest. So I'm very excited to share this with you, but as always, before we get to that, I want to remind you that if you are watching me on YouTube right now, and for whatever reason you would prefer audio only, you can access that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Opposite to that, however, if you're listening to this right now and you didn't realize that there was a visual side to the show, then please come check it out on YouTube. However you choose to enjoy this show, though, I would truly, truly appreciate it if you would subscribe, like, follow, share, whatever the case may be on the platform that you're using. I'm trying to build this show from the ground up, so any support I can get from you really, really does mean the world to me. So that being said, if you have already subscribed, thank you so much. And finally, if you want to contact the show, maybe you've got a cool guest idea or just some general feedback, you can hit me up at justchillpodcasting at gmail.com. Back to the guest this week, I had the chance to sit down with the very funny, very talented Kyle Brownrig, who is not only, as I mentioned, the first return guest on this show, but Kyle was actually the first guest ever on Just Chill. So a uh, very, very special opportunity for me to talk with him again, and I really enjoyed catching up with him. We, uh, we talked about many, many things. Kyle has had a killer year. In 2020, he was featured on several Just for Laughs productions. And now, I, I believe in a week from, from this episode going up, he's going to be on John Doerr's Humor Resources, which is a new show on CBC Gem that is absolutely stellar. If you haven't checked it out yet, go watch it and laugh your ass off. Uh, we talked about Kyle's podcast. He has a podcast called The Best Actress Podcast, where Kyle and a guest will review previous Oscar winner years for Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress, and then they decide at the end of the episode if they agreed with the winner or if maybe they thought one of the nominees should have won. It's just a really interesting and funny discussion every episode. Uh, we also talked about a new documentary by Scott Ross and Brown that both Kyle and I were featured in called Comedy 19, The Last Laugh, which is a documentary about how COVID has affected the comedy industry in Canada. So uh, just a great episode, so much to go over here, and I really hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you so much. Okay, brilliant idea. <laughs> just... Yeah, man. Uh, it's funny actually because the last episode i did uh i, I was recording with a, a buddy of mine and it was a saturday night so i was like you know what i'm gonna vape i'm gonna have the beer and i made a, no a note of saying that and now i feel like people are gonna see this episode and be like hey man you're just doing that every episode now but uh <laughs> we, the, we have no kids in the house right now we got a night for me and the missus we're gonna just get drunk and play board games so i got a wow. joint for this interview and i'm ready to wow. rock and roll. how does it feel <laughs> Yeah, it's few and far between, especially during the pandemic, because it's hard to uh, my parents won't uh, they won't have the kids over. They've been much more strict about uh, COVID stuff in general. They're both biologists in in uh, earlier years in their life. So they, when they oh. read the science articles and all that, it really, really does make sense to them and resonate with them a lot. So sure. um, we only have Kelly's mom as far as babysitting goes. So uh, we don't want to abuse it too much. So it's like maybe once a month or something we'll we'll ask. Yeah, no, I mean that makes that makes sense. You see, my um, my sister, uh, she because my parents are both retired, so like they watch the kids at least once or twice a week. Oh, nice. I think, um, or at least my mom does at least, or my dad goes out there a lot. They live in Rockland. Okay, because they're French. Oh yeah, Rockland, man. Yeah, I haven't been out there in ages. 
Yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Not getting, <missing> much. <laughs> getting a break from the kids. Like I love my kids obviously, but uh, just it's weird. Like even when we go, we went and got some drinks on the way back from dropping them off and like we almost forget like, oh yeah, we can both go in the store. Like yeah. one of us doesn't have to wait in the car with the kids and shit like that. Little, it's the little things. Yeah. It's the freedom that you just feel all of a sudden. So it's, it's a nice break, but uh, also I feel like screw it. I'm going to celebrate because this is a cool episode in a lot of ways. Uh, thank you for coming first of all, but um, oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> episode 40, which is, I don't know if that's a milestone, but it's a nice round number. It makes my OCD happy. It's the return of Kyle Brown Riggs. So the first return guest, guest that I've ever had, who also happens to be the first guest that was ever on this show. That's right. And it, I noticed on Facebook today, it was the one year anniversary of when Strombo came on and kind of kicked things into high gear. So it's Ooh. A, kind of a cool day. Yeah. I have a lot to live up to that. <laughs> oh, no, man. If anything, I felt like uh, you coming on as my first guest afforded me some cred, you know, in the comedy community, especially around Ottawa. I felt like you as my first guest, you know, that's pretty, you're, you're doing well, you were up and coming and, and you're doing still amazing things, which I can't wait to talk about all the stuff you're doing, but uh, thank so you thank you again for coming on when I was still kind of figuring all this out. I feel like I've grown a lot as a host since then. And, uh, and I still, you know, really cherish that memory. So. Oh, it was great. I love to hear that. I had so much fun. I remember um, your dad was on the, like the soundboard or whatever, like kind of doing the technical aspect of it. And I remember I was kind of explaining, I remember what I was talking about. We were talking about like uh, being like an LGBTQ person in a small town. And I remember your dad was like, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I remember that. And I remember that very vividly. And I, I liked that. It was a nice little moment. Yeah. My dad's uh a really nice guy. And I think he's, he's really enjoyed a lot of these conversations too, because he always tells me after like, wow, I loved hearing that different perspective. You know, I mean, he was born in the fifties, so mm. a lot's changed since then. And, uh, I've been <laughs> glad to have him be a part of it. It's really not that we had a bad relationship, but it's definitely brought us even closer together and, and more respect for each other. Um, granted now that I'm doing zoom calls, most of the time he's not here for those. So yeah, fair. You know, we'll get back to that eventually, but so how is, I mean, like what other guests have you have on? Because I like, you have like a full range of people. Did I see that you had on um, the people from body break? Yeah, that was so cool. Um, yeah. That's honestly, hilarious. man, after, uh, after Strombo came on, I kind of just like, I'm a persistent person. And I saw that as a huge opportunity to kind of like act as though I had some clout that really, I just got lucky really Strombo was just such a nice guy. And I was talking about that in my post today. Like I got lucky off of a Instagram comment and then, we picked him up at the airport. It all just kind of happened really fast. And he stayed here twice as long as he was supposed to. He had some big engagement the next morning. Like he was just the nicest guy. Um, but that. I tried to milk that for all it was worth afterwards. And uh, sure. so it started, I guess the next big guest was Kim Mitchell and then Fred Penner. Um, Spenny from Kenny versus Spenny came in person as well. Biff Naked I talked to. Um, oh, she promoted me. Um, she had no idea who I was, but when I was doing top comics, she did like a video. I remember that. And Jen Hayward was actually the one that was responsible for that. And I thought that was really nice of her. Nice. She is very supportive of the stand-up community in Canada. I actually know a bunch of comics um, that are semi friends with her. She's just really cool in general. And she's, I think, yeah. supportive of a lot of causes. She fights for animal rights and she fights for you know, human rights as well. Um, yeah, that's what I gather. She's just a really open and, and giving person, you know? Um, I think, but, yeah, I got that impression too. She seems really nice. Yeah, she's down to earth for sure. Um, and, and then I guess the other big guest would be, uh, I talked to 
Joey, these are their character names, but Joey, Snake, and Caitlin from Degrassi. Um, <laughs> uh, so that was really cool for me because I grew up watching all of them. Much like well, Snake is married to my best friend, Michelle. I was going to say, I thought you guys were fairly close. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I never watched Degrassi just because I didn't really, I couldn't really relate to it because like that wasn't my high school experience, you know? Um, the one thing I always liked about Degrassi was how diverse the cast was, like culturally diverse, I mean. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I'd seen a few episodes. There was this one episode where they all like did ecstasy and they were like, whoa, man. And it was like <laughs> so dumb. Uh, but I saw that episode years ago. And then when I met uh, Stefan Brogren, uh, Snake from Degrassi. Um, it was only because of Michelle and we were at the bar that he owns or co-owns or whatever. And this is when I first moved to Toronto and I was like, oh my God, you're the guy from like Degrassi, but I didn't really watch the show and I didn't really know, like understand like what it kind of meant to people. And we would go outside for like a smoke break and people would just come up to him in the streets and take pictures. And I was like, are you like really famous? <laughs> like, well, what in is Toronto, going on especially. Right <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I honestly like. I'm so naive to that kind of thing because I, I never watched Degrassi. But like, s like Snake is like the most down to earth, super generous, super nice guy. Um, and like he did my podcast, even though he didn't have to. <laughs> and oh, nice. it's like, you know, he's he's a really nice guy. Super super nice. And he, as far as Degrassi goes, he gets a lot of respect because he I think has been in every single iteration of the show of which there have been many because there was Degrassi mm -hmm. junior high, then Degrassi high, and then they did the next generation. And I think there was one on Netflix called next class. Um, and he directed was a, TV a bunch movie of them as well. Mm -hmm. Sorry. There was a TV movie as well. Oh yeah. That was uh, sort of the finale to Degrassi high schools out. Yeah. That was, yeah. I think he, he was actually the first person to say fuck on CBC uh, during like, oh. it was like 9 PM. Like, especially back in the early 90s, that was pretty crazy. Oh, I went to see it at the Royal Theater on College Street with him. Oh, crazy. And all of the people that we were with, again, didn't watch the original series. So I didn't know who any. So um, the guy that plays Joey Jeremiah. Yeah, Pat Mastrain, the two, yeah. The two female leads from the show. Um, so one of them is blonde. Stacey Mystician's been on my show. She played Caitlin. She was sort of Joey's, like, love interest on and off. Was she... Was she the one that's like a principal, like a real life principal now, but like no. in the TV movie, she like gets pregnant and goes to an abortion clinic and then you never hear from her ever again. <laughs> and you're like, that's, did she die? Um, probably the girl who played Tessa Campanelli. I can't remember the actress's name, but I, there was a character in that movie. Joey basically gets sick of waiting for Caitlin, who, who has been his girlfriend, like on and off, like I said, through the whole series. And she doesn't basically want to have sex fast enough. And he has this love triangle then and Tessa Campanelli does is willing to, and he tries to hide it and it all blows up in his face. And that movie was pretty fucked up because Degrassi's <laughs> always had like a, um, like dark theme sometimes, or, or at least adult themes, but that movie, they just went balls to the wall. And like, by the end of it, you're like, wheels had a drunk driving accident where yeah. <laughs> lucy gets blinded and like it was like all just horrible negative outcomes for practically everybody well when we were in the theater and we were watching the movie because i just met all these people because we had a drink beforehand and i just met all these people i didn't know that they were from the movie or the show and then i'm like sitting in the theater and then i'm like looking at the <laughs> the screen and then i'm like looking next to me and i'm like 
oh, I'm an idiot. Like, I'm like, <laughs> right. Oh, hi. Nice to meet you. <laughs> well, it depends when you grew up too, because uh, like I was born in 85 and I talked about this with Pat and, and Stefan. Um, so I think I was in the right spot because they started replaying that 80s, late 80s, early 90s Degrassi in mm-hmm. the late 90s on CBC. So like you, I was kind of like, oh, this looks really dated, but it was kind of funny because it was so corny and like it was kind of low budget. So I took it like as kind of a comedy thing as well. But then the new next generation started like three, four years after that. So I I landed kind of right in the middle and I got to enjoy the old one and then Mm -hmm. almost instantly follow those characters, a lot of them into the new sort of more modern version of the show. So... I think when I was like seven or eight, I went to the public library in Orleans and they had VHS tapes of old episodes. And I looked up the word gay in the catalog and then like a video came up and it said Degrassi, this episode is like something to do with gay. And it's the episode where the guy wheels gets like molested. Oh yeah, yeah. And I watched that episode and I remember just being like, oh, is that what gay is? Is like pedophile molestation? Cool. And so just anyway, anyway. (laughs) Yeah, no, that episode was pretty weird because Wheels, I guess he had his parents die from a drunk driving accident, which is all the more reason that it was so messed up that he ends up getting in his own drunk driving accident in that movie. Um, But when his parents die, he kind of starts rebelling against everybody. Joey's parents let him live with them for a while and he starts stealing their change and stuff. And eventually he runs away and he's just kind of like on the road, like a drifter. And this guy picks him up, this creepy dude in a van and like tries to like put his hand on his leg and stuff. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, you if he, if he picks you up and he's giving you a ride, like you owe him, you know, yeah. so <laughs> I feel like that? that's, that's from uh, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. It's the 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 code of the road or something like that. The code of the road. I, I, I think I'm messing that up, but uh, the way of the road. Yeah. George Carlin. He, he's like, yeah, you got to give the head if you get the ride, you know? Yeah. I, I'm going to have to second that one time I was in a fucking blackout at the holiday party in Toronto. That was at comedy bar. And then afterward me and like Ryan Dillon and like all of these other comics, were going to go like to an after hours bar which is always a bad idea. And um, I was so drunk and just a huge cunt to everybody because like I fell and no one helped me. And I was like, what the fuck? And then Ryan- so Lyle, Lyle made his appearance. Oh, that, at that point that was Shaklyle. Like there's like levels. Okay. And then I remember Ryan like, to cause there was a cover, like a door cover. So we had to go to an ATM and I remember um, Ryan Dillon handed me a $20 bill. And I remember I just like leaned in and like tried to make out with my friend Ryan and, uh, he's straight by the way. And I have absolutely no attraction to him. It was literally just, he so handed nice. me money and I made out with him cause I was raised right. You know, <laughs> the onus was there. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to oh, thank people for, <laughs> for what they give you. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure he was a good sport about it. Oh, he was like, what are you? I mean, I talked to his girlfriend about it the next day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we should say to people who don't know, Lyle is like your your drunken alter ego. It's not an alter ego. I just can't pronounce my name. It's like, like, no, no, no. Like Lyle is like, because I have a lot of anxiety and like a lot of like, I have OCD and like I have, like I um, have general anxiety disorder and a panic disorder. So when I'm drunk, it's almost like, all of that that's in my head all the time, like gets muted. 
Oh my God. This is why we get along so well, I think, because yeah. I also have OCD and not panic. Well, I do have panic attacks, so I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but same thing. Yeah. Like drinking, especially it's just this like fuck off brain for a while. You just kind of exactly. like, so then you feel invincible and I already have like a venomous tongue. And whenever I'm drunk, if somebody says one thing that like, I feel like is stupid, I like won't let it go. I'm actually, yeah, I'm, I, I've dialed it back, but like in the past, I've been a pretty mean drunk sometimes, which is not, which is troubling, which is maybe you have a drinking problem, but like I've since like dialed it back a lot, but like, yeah, Lyle can be a real fucking piece of shit sometimes. Have you ever and, gotten into like a fist fight or something? Um, I've been in two fights. One time I was drunk, but it it like had nothing to do with me. It was my friend, Amanda starting a fight with another girl. Uh And then when I tried to make it stop, like when I tried to push them off of each other, like the girlfriend's, the girl's boyfriend, like just fucking came at me and like, I wasn't expecting it. So like I fell straight back and like, I bit my cheeks like when i went down there was like blood everywhere it was so gross but no i've never other than that i've never gotten into like a like a fight like a fight fight yeah i've never actually like thoroughly had my ass kicked or anything you hear a lot of people talk about that i've never been straight up punched in the face maybe Mm -hmm. i try to be a nice person so maybe that's hopefully part of it but (laughs) um yeah the worst i've ever had was some guys jacked my weed and, and, and surprisingly they stole like our candy and stuff. This was in like grade 10. We were coming out of shoppers and the local, you know, gangbangers our age or whatever they came in. I got punched in the side of the head and we ran away. That was the worst I've ever had, you know? Yeah. I mean, like I've had some pretty fucked up things happen to me, but that was more like comedy related, but I actually didn't get hurt because there's more people that are like willing to help you than there are people that will just stand there and like, I don't know what to do. Um, But yeah, like, I mean, I've been like attacked when I've been drunk, but if if we're talking about like, just like me getting into like a fist fight, like, no, like never. Or you've never had people try to like hate crime you? I have been, I have been hate crimed a few times. I got hate crimed once at a a New Year's Eve party. And um, there was this guy who was like a friend of someone's boyfriend kind of thing. Oh, no, he was the brother of my friend's boyfriend. And uh, he was this, like, big fucking guy. And he was, um, you know, you could tell he just had a chip on his shoulder. And we were, like, all drinking and stuff. I was, like, 20 years old, by the way. This was a long time ago. And uh, we were, like, arm wrestling as, like, a drinking game. And I was, like, 25 pounds lighter than I am now. Like, I was just a skeleton. And he's, like, this big guy. So, obviously, he beats me in the arm wrestle. So, as a joke, I was, like, tell everybody that he lost. And I beat him. And he cried. Anyway, people started saying that as a joke and then he didn't like that. So then he charged at me in the middle of the living room and started strangling me and like, was like calling me a faggot. And like, um, it went on for like an uncomfortably long time. Like no one stepped in to help me. I was like trying to get him off of me. And then finally this guy, I call him Ken because this couple, they were literally Barbie and Ken. They they were like models. They were both just gorgeous. And I remember the Ken of the couple came over and was like, hey man, you need to stop this. Like this is fucked up. And then anyway, later on in the party, uh, he did it again when I was in the emergency stairwell going outside to like smoke a joint. Jesus, double strangling. That's fucked. Yeah, but I was like super hard. So it's fine. I love how you said it. Yeah, um, 
<laughs> the an uncomfortable amount of time, like it, like not that good amount of strangling, like that gets you a little hard. And then no, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, well, fuck, man. I didn't think we were gonna go off on that tangent right to start things, but uh, I do want to get to some of the actual shit I have written down because I'm so excited to talk about some of the stuff you've been involved in. Um, mm. Starting off with humor resources, which I've already seen a couple episodes of, and I, I mean, I love John Dor. I've always thought he's such a unique comic, but I was so happy to see that you were going to be one of the guests on this show. Mm -hmm. um, and there's like huge stars on this show. As far as comedy goes, there's Sarah Silverman and Nikki Glaser and Scott Thompson and Tom Green and, and yourself included. I think you're one of these people that, you know, five, 10 years from now, everyone's going to be saying, have you seen Kyle's Netflix special? So, Oh, I wish. <laughs> oh, it's, it's <laughs> coming, you. buddy. It's coming. Um, but so I, I did uh, catch some of your podcast and you, you were telling David Brennan how they actually filmed like like over an hour of you talking with them and then they cut it down to just six minutes. Yeah. So basically for humor resources, that was kind of a um, I didn't know what to expect from that, because if I'm being honest with you, um, I would actually consider John Dore a, a friend. He's he has always been so generous and so kind to me and his sister is uh the uh oh, Allison, owner yeah. of my of, of the record label that i'm part of howl and roar and so I, they've always been very kind and very generous to me and um when i found when when jfl called me and asked me to do this thing i thought it was like I thought it was like we were doing stand-up like i thought we were doing jokes but it's actually kind of like an improv acting interview kind of too right yeah because it's not real like it's not me actually answering it's like i actually have to defend these ridiculous questions in a joking way so it, it is kind yeah. of improv acting and um i thought that like everybody was doing it like i thought it was like all of the like local toronto comics were doing it but then when i saw because uh i think there was like an nda no one like for example like sarah silverman was on the show it's like i had no fucking clue and then when i saw the lineup of people that were on it Frankly, I mean, I'm, I genuinely I'm not saying this to like self-deprecate, but like I was genuinely shocked that I was part of this this show. But I also am kind of like, <laughs> I just was, yeah, man, you deserve it. I was like, I was kind of proud of myself because I was like, this is a really sick lineup, and I'm I'm proud to be part of the first season of it. But I have a feeling that my segment is probably going to be really short because I think my episode has the most people. Oh, okay. But whatever, like, I don't yeah, care, like, I'll take yeah. it. Like, I'm, I'm happy. And um, it was, I, I didn't even know if I wanted to do it because again, the point that I was trying to make was like, John has always been really nice to me, but like, you know, John is like a really sarcastic dude. Yeah. So I'm always so very, deadpan, yeah. yeah. So I'm always very suspicious of like when he's really nice to me. Cause I'm like, are you joking? Like, are you being, <laughs> I don't know if, and so I, I actually asked JFL, I was like, am I going to look stupid if I do this? Is he going to fuck with me and, and try and catch me or corner me? And then I'm going to look like an idiot, you know? If like, anything, no, he makes himself look like an idiot. Like the, the yeah. character that he's playing, the fictionalized version of himself. I think he puts a lot of emphasis on making himself look dumb in those interviews. Well, when I started doing it, um, I was responding in the way that I thought that I was supposed to respond to him, to his questions. Um, because I have to answer as Kyle Brownrigg, the stand-up comedian, not Kyle Brownrigg, which, by the way, those are two very different people. Of course, yeah. And um, I was like, they kept, they had to stop. And I was like, fuck, like, I'm going to get fired from this. Like, this is awful. I'm like embarrassing myself. And then they were like, Kyle, I'm like, yeah. They were like, this is exactly what we want. 
This is great. This is really funny. Just keep doing this. And I was like, oh, so I think, yeah, I think I felt very insecure about the whole thing because I didn't know what the heck it was. And then it ended up being so fun. And I'm actually really excited to see what they use because like you said, uh, it was, yeah, uh, probably about an hour, hour and a half of filming. And then, you know, yeah, a few minutes from that. Yeah. If they even use sex, like, I don't know, but yeah. Well, that's cool for you though. Cause now you can genuinely watch it as like, you know, a viewer and not someone who knows the, the inside of exactly what's going to be on. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm really excited to see what they used, but I'm also a little nervous. <laughs> well, I also think it's really cool what you were saying just about how John Doerr seems to have included a mix of like really huge names. And then a lot of people that he believes are going to be you know, next year's huge names or, or a few years from now or whatever, because, uh, you know, like Sophie, I saw her episode the other day, Sophie Buttle, and she was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, and and every, everybody that I've seen funny. on there has been great. Mm-hmm. Um, but John Doerr, actually, I may have told this on the podcast before. He was not that I'm a huge comedian or anything. I'm, I wouldn't call myself, you know, even a headliner, but I do love to dabble in it. And a lot of that was inspired by him because I used to just go to shows and I had seen him a couple of times and not only was he really funny to the point where I was like, I want to make people laugh like this, but he had a routine once uh, and I was in the front row at Yuck Yucks and he had like a part of his routine where someone came on stage and read all this shit out of his little book. And then he was like playing off of that. And it was my first taste of like being on stage and having people I mean, it wasn't my material, obviously, but like I felt like they were sort of laughing at me or that I was doing my part well. And so I've always yeah. kind of... Uh, really been you know low-key thankful about that experience not that i've had the chance to tell him yet but maybe one day he um he like sometimes like i again just because like he uh he hasn't said it directly to my face but like he said it to people at jfl and they've kind of repeated so don't don't quote me on this but like um you know, people at JFL, whenever they were booking me for this, they just said that he really kind of gets what I'm trying to do. And he, he really, he, he's a fan. And uh, I think the way that they booked the show was sort of like people at the beginning of their career, people in the middle of their career and people that are like Sarah Silverman, Nikki Glaser, you know, people like that. And I would be probably in the beginning. And um, just to sort of have that little acknowledgement in in any kind of way, it, it feels really good because when you, when you dedicate and sacrifice your like whole life to this extremely specific and strange, um, and not very high paying career, it's like, it feels nice sometimes to know that like your work is being recognized and it's, 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 it's resonating with someone and, and it just, you know what's that lady gaga thing like it takes 90 there could be 99 people in a room that don't believe in you but then there's that one it's just like i think john i think john likes my stuff and i think that he and it that that feels really good to me because i'm a huge fan of his so it's it feels it feels really nice well and there's a lot of people in comedy that are very self-serving and competitive and stuff so it's nice to just see someone who's you know looking out for the next generation and trying to like pass it down you know i completely agree with that it it like, and cause it's rare. Most of the people that really, and by the way, it's not that, not that they have to, it's not like they have this responsibility to do that kind of thing, but yeah, a lot of the older comics, like they don't, they don't do stuff like that, but John is uh, really setting up people for success. And 
Well, that's I, a, uh, to go back yeah. to the Strombo thing, since it is the one and one year anniversary of him coming on my show, I felt very much the same. You know, I have a clip of him where he's, it feels like he's passing the torch, so to speak to me, where he says, well, I want you to be good, man. Like the country needs, you know, good hosts. And, and I mean, again, I'm not, this is not verbatim, but along those lines, I really felt like, okay, here's someone who didn't have to do this, who fucking is barely going to get any sleep tonight who's staying twice as long as he was supposed to and playing arcade with me after and taking photos. And, and, you know, like it, very much in what you're describing the same way as how I felt with that, where it's just like, and, and then it made me want to try harder. It made me want to be like, Oh, well, like I owe more to, or I have to give back even more now because someone believed in me, you know, like there's that mm-hmm. synergistic effect about that, that, that mm-hmm. kind of sets in where you're like, oh, okay, I feel like more responsibility on my shoulders, but also ready to bear that responsibility if that makes sense. No, that absolutely makes sense. But uh, like, I also do feel though, when somebody like really high up, like Strom, Strombinopolis, I don't, sorry. No one can say his name right. Strombinopolis. I know how to spell it off by heart now after so much uh, (laughs) social media. Yeah. Well, that's like Sheree Agdashlu. That one I can spell like for Academy Award nominee House of Sand and Fog. Like if you like, I can write that one out like and pronounce it perfectly. But could you do it would. like spelling bee style right now? S H O H R A H or is it E H? But anyway, the point is, is that like it is like I remember I had to write it out like a million times and I got better at it. But um, I probably fucked that up. But anyway, uh, when you do have somebody that is sort of like very well respected in the industry and they're giving you that kind of acknowledgement and they're giving you like, I want to set you up for success, you know, um, then the insecurities start to come out because then you're like, Oh God, I can't fuck this up. Oh God. Like what like am I Foster syndrome or whatever? Exactly. Yeah. And there, I think that there is like a little bit of that because, um, I mean, especially in Canadian entertainment, it's like, um, I don't, ever talk about what I get or what I book unless someone asks me or I need to promote it because I'm required to do so by the booking company. Yeah, like you're not a braggart. But at the same time, I feel very insecure about like posting about what I've done and stuff like that online because it just creates so much bitterness and you Mm. start to get such feel like, oh, good for him, like other comics and shit. Yeah. And you get like less likes and like you get booked less on shows weird, or at least that has been my experience in well, Toronto. They're like, Oh, well he doesn't need this show. Like he's exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's so and, weird. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it, it for, but I generally find that like, if you're one of the guys, it's like, Oh yeah, he deserves it. But if you are any kind of minority at all, no matter how much you deserve it or not, somebody is going to think that the only reason that you're, booking all of these things is because you're checking a box the and token, that's it. Yeah. And that it's sort of like that's that. Be so I have, frustrating. It is frustrating, but I don't really care. Cause I'm laughing all the way to the fucking TV production company. But true, at true. the same time, it is a little bit like, uh, you don't have as many people that are like, that have your back. And so you kind of have to learn to be like your own cheerleader. And the more success that like you get, I find that I, I don't, I feel very insecure talking about it because I feel like, oh God, like, um, who am I going to piss off now? Or mm-hmm. who's going to be angry with me because I got this. And I realized that that's a really bad 
attitude and I realized that people are going to be like, well, fuck them. Like who gives a shit? Yeah. It's like, we all give a shit. Well, and we also have too many people with the attitude in the world right now of, well, fuck them. Like if everybody's saying that to everybody all the time, that's how we get to the current crazy fucking state that the world is in where everyone's just like, well, I do what I want. Like there is something nice to be, um, what's the word? God, I used to conscientious, you know, like there's nothing wrong with being conscientious and, and it's okay to offend sometimes, especially in comedy. But I, I don't know. I like trying to not offend people and hurt people's feelings. I don't like that. <laughs> like <laughs> anxiety. Get off hey. on it, but. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of diversity though, going back to human resources, that's another thing I noticed is that like from the episodes I've already seen, there's a lot of women, there's LGBTQ people like yourself and Scott Thompson. There was a woman who had like no arms. I, I don't remember her name now, but in Courtney first... Gilmore. Yeah, she was okay, on the first yeah. episode. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, again, just big up to John Dorr for showcasing that there's a lot of different funny types of people out there and they're not all just white dudes. I mean, it definitely is a comedy and CBC friendly show. And I think that's a really good thing because there's a lot of really, really great. I mean, everybody that's been on that show is 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 so talented and so yeah. great sort of in their own way. I think a lesson that I have come to understand is that okay comedians like stand-up comedians are like actors in that like sometimes you need an actor for like a creepy role sometimes you need an actor for like a leading role sometimes you need an actor for like a best friend role and generally they're usually cast in the same way over and over again unless you're like Meryl Streep for example where you can just play anything yeah and it's the same thing in stand-up comedy there are so many different voices that like are represented and so many different comedians that have that voice, but also like from different backgrounds and blah, blah, blah. And I think that what a lot of, especially like I find generally like straight white male comedians have a hard time with is understanding that it's not that you didn't get it because you weren't funny enough. It's that your voice is extremely represented. So what they're looking for is different voices in comedy to represent that type of comedy. And the thing is, is that generally speaking, I find that a lot of straight white guys kind of tend to do the same type of comedy. And so it's like, you have to do something that's going to make you different where if you are a minority of some kind, um, it's like that voice is not is barely represented in stand up comedy. And right now they're really trying to propel that forward and showing that there can be like a range of stand up for everybody. So anybody can get into stand up. You just have to find your right comedian. And that's great, too, because uh, like if a certain minority starts to get more uh, respect and recognition, there's also that person's audience out there that's hungry for this type of material that you don't you know what I mean? So I understand, like, especially from a a business of like the whole comedy business, why it's going that way is because there's so many audiences out there whose jokes aren't being tailored for them yet. You know, like mm-hmm. anyways, do you get what I'm saying with that? Like, no, I do. I, I, I absolutely do. And I, I do find that a lot of people will watch a stand-up comedy show. Um, uh, let's say we're talking about the new wave of stand-up with CBC gem. So I did this taping in February before the pandemic. It was in Vancouver okay. and the new wave of stand-up is sort of a representation of diverse up and coming voices in comedy. There were straight white guys as well, by the way. Yeah. Um, it's just that it was sort of representing the different new voices that are coming up. There were a lot of people of color. There were LGBTQ people. There were uh, like a, a whole mix. And when you look at the series, each episode is different. The point of stand-up comedy is not, it's it's not like a television series where it's like one episode just continues into the other. 
each and every single episode is supposed to be different so that you might be able to connect with or they're different one. channels completely. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's like not every single stand-up comedian is supposed to be for you. There are, yeah. so, I don't like the major stand-up comedians like Louis CK and uh, Dave Chappelle. Although I, I like some of Dave Chappelle's stuff, but like the point is, is that like, just because I don't really care for it doesn't mean that they're not funny. It just means that it's not for me. And yeah. I think that a lot of people have a hard time with that, with, with comedy, because they think that comedy is universal and it's not, it's subjective. Comedy yeah. is different for everybody. Yeah, exactly. People don't bitch that we don't all like the same shows and movies. We just move on with our lives and people keep making different types of shows and movies, you know, and everyone's okay with it for the most part. So that, but that's the best way of putting it. It's yeah. like, think of a stand-up comedian as a TV show. It's yeah. like, there are a million different TV shows. It's just that some people like to watch this TV show. Some people like to watch that TV show. But I think that with comedy, stand-up comedy specifically, I think that people don't get that. It's like, no, especially. And, and that's a great analogy too, because much like with TV shows, there's also going to be some that are just so universally great that almost every single person finds it funny. And there's going to be some that are so goddamn terrible that, you know, yeah. they're, they're just, that's a bad <laughs> show, you know? Um, so yeah, that's such a cool analogy. Really. I like that. Just thinking about it from that point of view. Um, I was going to say one thing though, before I forget, it, it seems you're an X-Files fan based on the poster behind you. Oh, this is my boyfriend's poster. Oh, okay. Yeah. How is the potato as you say? Uh, he is good. We live in a one bedroom apartment in downtown Toronto and he works from home. He's in the bedroom right now, like on a conference call. And, um, I think that we're all just going really crazy because oh, yeah. like we're trapped inside. We're in a really bad, we're in a full lockdown. You're in Ontario, you're in a lockdown too. Yeah, but sucks. the thing is, is that you have like a yard, you have like a park you could go to. You can go for like a walk. If I go out for a fucking walk, I'm on the corner of murder and crack. Like it has gotten yeah. super sketchy downtown. Damn. And um, honestly, like I'm a lot, I think I'm a lot that like he and I like, like we don't like, he doesn't annoy me. I don't annoy him. The only time that he annoys me is whenever he has to do conference calls all day, because I have to like turn off the TV and be quiet. Or like he has to go into the other room. And sometimes that's kind of annoying to coordinate. Um, but like, we're fine. Like, I feel like some people are in much worse situations. People are breaking up. Yeah. Like people are fighting all the time. Imagine like trying to date during the pandemic. That's what I've thought about so many times. Yeah. Someone who was like single and maybe they're like, oh man, you know what? March is going to be my month. I'm finally going to meet that Mrs. Right. And then the pandemic strikes and it's like, you can't go outside. You know, it's yeah. gotta suck. I'm not getting well, no, exactly. A lot of people are dating. I mean, a lot of my girlfriends are like still dating, even though they shouldn't be, but I don't know. They're, they're still, yeah, they're still doing it. Yeah. I definitely understand why people are losing their mind. And like, I've had my own, the last couple of months have been pretty up and down for me too. Um, you know, I don't even know really why I think I just hit like a certain wall and like, it, I just, I don't know. I became way more anxiety ridden and, uh, I'm working through it. You know, I'm trying to be positive and do more exercise and, uh, podcasting honestly is one of the things that really makes me still happy. Even through zoom, there's just something about talking to somebody, especially someone you haven't talked to in a while and like learning new things. And, uh, I always feel like refilled a bit, like my battery's recharged a bit after. So thanks again. <laughs> oh, you're um, welcome. Um, wait, sorry, as much as it's not your poster, I'm still going to say this. You should tell him then, because we were just out in Orleans driving today and I drive by and I'm like, oh, there's like a Molly, uh, Mulder Avenue. And then yeah. Kelly, who's in the car with me, she saw just a little pass and she's like, oh, that's like Scully way. So they put a Mulder and Scully 
um, sort of intersection somewhere in the residential part of Orleans. I just thought that was super nerdy and awesome. Yeah, it's off of. Um, oh, you know. Uh, oh, you knew about this. That's where yeah. my friend. That's where my friend Amanda basically grew up. There's also Unicorn Way. That's like on the same street. <laughs> okay. It's behind the shoppers on Innis. That city planner. I want to hang Portobello. out. Portobello. It's it's off of Portobello. Yeah, it's near Trim. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, who's that city planner? He seems like a cool cat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I saw that when I was a kid and I was like, mm, interesting. But yeah, yeah I was like, oh, was oh never it's the thing. Hulk Boulevard. <laughs> like, um, yeah. So um, I wanted to actually, I'm super excited to talk to you about this uh, podcast that you're doing. So is this your only podcast? It's my only podcast. Only I'm only because you mentioned uh, that Stefan did it, did it. So yeah, did I can't even talk. Stefan did your <laughs> podcast. So I'm uh, that's how excited I am. I really want to know what episode that is now, because I would love to listen to that one. The Hillary Swank episode for okay. million dollar baby. All right. I'm going to definitely check that out. Um, but I listened to a couple episodes back to back and I was laughing my ass off. And the <laughs> part that really struck me was I went into it thinking, okay, well I love films, but I'm a pretty comedy sci-fi superhero kind of guy like there's so many classic films i've never seen and i was worried that uh i just wouldn't enjoy it not because i don't enjoy you but because i would be like out of the loop and mm -hmm. all i kept thinking was wow i have not seen like any of these movies they're talking about and i'm still mm -hmm. having a blast listening to this so uh kudos on that thank you i mean the idea um so I actually originally, so the, the podcast is called best actress yeah, and sorry, basically <laughs> the podcast is called best actress. And basically what it is, is like, we talk about either a lead uh, win or a supporting win. And we talk about all of the nominees and the winner. And then at the end, we do like a final little drum roll of who yeah. we select as the winner. And um, it's just, you know, it's just like for fun and stuff. It's just that for a while ago, um, I got into this pod. I got into this this series on YouTube called "Be Kind Rewind," and um, it was basically about like old actresses and old uh, Oscar wins. And like, I at the time was like going through this phase with like old Hollywood, and uh, I just like her like her channel is is very academic and very historical, mm. and I love that. But there isn't really anything that's like just about the Oscars, just about the actresses, just about talking about like breaking down all the performances, because really like the gays, that's really all that we really care about, if I'm being honest with you. Yes, I mean, the history part yeah. is interesting, but we do like to watch the movies and pick out like our winners and stuff. And I was like, that doesn't exist. So like, I should just do that. I mean, yeah. that's something that I would listen to. And so I... Uh, just made it. And my, <laughs> my audience, I love this. My audience is 98% male between the ages of 28 and 34. And on the Spotify stats, it says music they listen to. And it's Ariana Grande, Lady Gaga, <laughs> Mariah Carey. So it's just an audience of queens. And it's great because I never have a gay audience because most gay men don't support other gay men. So it's kind of nice oh. uh, listening to that uh, or, or seeing those stats and stuff like that. But it's been, yeah, quite popular with, with the gays. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, you find a great niche with just the concept of the show. And I, I remember when I started this show too, being like, oh, well, this is pretty dumb. I'm just doing like a talk show, interview show. Like so, there's so many people that do that. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I just wanted it because I like the ability to talk to so many different types of people. So like in the end, the, the payoff for me on a personal level was worth 
being maybe more ambiguous in the, the grand scheme of all the other shows, like doing the same thing. But I do think that that's such a smart way to, to tackle a podcast is find something that no one's done and just do it and, and rock it. So, or even just find a like when you're going to do a podcast, be as specific as possible, but also make a podcast that like you would listen to. Yes. That's such I a think that's point. really the challenge is yeah. like, what would I listen to? And for me, it's like, I would just listen to that. Yeah. No, every time we do a car trip now, we don't even listen to music anymore. We just fill a USB with podcasts. So I always think that same thing. Like, would I give a shit about this conversation or would I shut it off like 10 minutes earlier? Yeah. Um, but anyways, about the show, I'm really excited because you told me that I can come on. So I'm excited. We're going <laughs> to record that in uh, mid-March. Mid-March. Uh, Marley Matlin. Yes. Okay. You, I had them all written down for the last laugh. Oh no, shit. That's the documentary. God damn it. <laughs> that's my next note. See, I am high now. Um, yeah, <laughs> no, it was um, Marley Matlin in Children of a Lesser God. Mm -hmm. uh, Jane Fonda in The Morning After. Sissy oh, Spacek the in pill. Crimes of the Heart. <laughs> yep. Kathleen Turner in Peggy Sue Got Married, which uh, I haven't seen any of these for the record. This is yeah. what I'm talking about. I'm excited. And Side note, Kathleen Turner, I believe she was the woman from Serial Mom. Have you ever seen that fucked up movie? Oh, yes. I've seen that movie many, many, many times. It's brilliant and so fucking amazing. I watched that on Shrooms and it was probably <laughs> one of the best experiences of my life because it was so weird and funny and dark. And um, it's very campy. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Oh, it was totally not taking itself very seriously, which I was OK with on Shrooms. <laughs> yeah. Sure. This was years ago. Um but and then finally, Aliens, Sigourney Weaver, which I got to tell you, if you can't tell from looking at this room, it's yeah. going to be a hard sell to not. Uh, these other movies better be really good to be in the running with that performance. I have been wanting to do. I'm actually glad that you picked Marley Matlin because I've been wanting to do that year for a while. But the person that I had in mind for the podcast um, didn't really demonstrate a lot of interest in it, but also like, was kind of like, I don't really have any recording equipment and listen, honey, I am not going to chase you down. Like if you like mm. my podcast is a big ask, it's five movies. Sometimes there are like movies that are like three, three and a half hours. So if you don't want to do it, I, I totally get it. I'm not going to chase you down, but anybody that is like, Hey, I do want to do this. Then I'm like, great. And then I'll, I'll have them on, but I'm glad that you picked that year because of aliens because uh, yeah that this is an episode that i've been wanting to do for like since i started the podcast but i've been like saving it well aliens is such a cool um the fact that she got a nod just because i mean i'm not as much of an oscar buff but from the oscars i've watched in my general knowledge um because i'm a nerd a lot of geeky superhero stuff really gets snubbed a lot of the time and doesn't get uh any respect because of its genre it's like oh well that's just super that's for kids or whatever that's right um, or like comedy the, well. the dark knight was huge when sorry oh comedy yes as well yeah um but the dark knight that was one of the first big ones that i can think of in modern history when heath ledger got the uh posthumously or whatever but mm -hmm. um yeah so i'm really excited for this as well but aliens is going to be right up there so and i read little synopses Synopsis is how do I know? What's the multiple? Synopsis, I don't know. Synopsis. Yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> that weed is, yeah. Um, so, no, but these other four I have not seen. And I looked up little, uh, you know, nutshell. I didn't want spoilers, but just sort of what's it about, like the back of the novel or whatever. And they sounded a lot cooler when I actually read about them because the names, the titles didn't sell me at all. One sounds like it's a romantic drama. So I'm a little bit romantic comedy. I'll watch them all like no matter i don't care how cheesy they are i like romantic comedies but romantic yeah, drama it's like ugh. 
<laughs> like I'm already in love, already have my partner. I don't need to. It, that's so much more appealing when you're like single and you're looking for love because right. you can live vicariously through that theme. But like, I, I'm in love. Like, I, I don't want to watch someone. Oh, I need you. You know, um, I'm the opposite. I like to live vicariously through the character because that is done for me. My favorite part of any relationship is the beginning where you're like the tinglys, the dating and yeah, the, yeah. oh, this is new. And the firsts where like when you get into a relationship and you're like happy and, and everything is like fine. And it's all um, farts and it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, no, I know what you mean. The, the tinglys that you get when you're first uh, in those situations. But to me, I guess I'm starting to associate that more with my youth and, and I want to stay young at heart, but sometimes I, I like, I'm shocked at my age. I'm like, Holy fuck. I'm 35. I have three kids. I've had a divorce, like all these things that make me feel so grown up. And yet in my mind, I'll see like Kurt Cobain who died at 27. And I'm just like, wow, I wonder if I could be like him one day. You yeah. Know, like, like, it's so weird. Time fucks with your head like that, man. I think that we all inherently think of ourselves like teenagers. I think that we're all yeah, maybe kids. early twenties. Yeah. I think that a lot of us, I think a lot of us do that. And then we, kind of look in the mirror one day and we're like, Jesus Christ, like what happened? Yeah. And I'm not trying to like move away from that inner child, but I, I guess I'm starting to have enough of those moments of like, what the fuck? I am this old where I'm like, you know what? Um, I want to learn to be more okay with the process of change in life in general. You know, I feel like I'm somebody that when I, when I, really immerse myself in something and really give something a chance. I usually go like, Oh, I fucking love this, like podcasting or whatever, but mm -hmm. I'm the hardest sell up front. I'm like so emotionally stubborn about just giving shit a try. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. We're an old man. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I yeah, fuck five years to 40. That's crazy. <laughs> and Kelly's a couple years older than me too. So she turned 36 or no 37 last month. So I always make good. fun of her, you know, it's good to date someone older than you because you'll always be the youngest. <laughs> yeah, I've dated older women, I want to say, very often in my life. Um, even like from the time I was in high school, I was in grade nine and I had a girlfriend in grade 11. <laughs> oh, look at you. Okay. Yeah, no, so you're like pretty, the mature. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we were on the improv team together. So we were probably both big wieners, you know, but. Um, that's disgusting that you were both on the improv team. You should both be ashamed of yourself. Dude, it was a weird, uh, I mean, this is a long time ago. I was like 13, 14, but it was a weird situation because her and this other guy, uh, I won't name names, but he, he's a great guy too. Um, but we were just young, dumb kids and her and him had been dating for like the first couple of years that they had been in high school. Cause again, they were two years older than me. So probably since they were like, you know, freshman sweethearts or whatever. And I, when I got on the team, they were together. And then like a couple months in, they split up. And then about a couple weeks later or a month later, me and her started kind of like hanging out. And then, so we went from them being in a couple and us being on a team together to now the team is like, oh, they're having a relationship now and this guy's heartbroken or, or they've got beef or whatever. And then they ended up getting back together before the end of the year and I was heartbroken or whatever. So it was so, <laughs> such a fucked up improv team is what I'm trying to say, yeah. It's very incestuous, it sounds. Well, I mean, we weren't related in that sense of the word, but... Uh, <laughs> I mean, the team. The yeah, team. <laughs> yeah, the team relation, for sure. I guess there was only eight of us, so it is pretty tight-knit, yeah. Um, yeah, what a fucking weird memory, though. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, no, older women, I guess that's been... Uh, I mean, never like... Uh, what Always been my May preference. May what is that, May-December? What's the term? Like, a, a, Have you never heard that? I think it's a May-December romance. I used to see it in like the tabloids when somebody was dating somebody that was like 15 years apart. I've always heard it as Harold and Maude. 
Okay. I have not heard that one. And I'm sure I fucked up mine, but it's something with two months. And, and uh, it's a weird term, I always thought, but it was used when like Demi Moore was with Ashton Kutcher. And I'm going to have to Google this now. Oh, right. Or maybe no. it's only when it's a woman who's older. I don't know. A cougar. To... Wasn't that a cougar? No, God damn it. I almost wish I, I, if my dad was here, he'd be like pulling it up or he would fucking <laughs> know. But I'll, I'll put it in the YouTube comments after. Um, yeah, I think it's a, a May, December or a March, December, they call it romance, where it's it, they're just trying to imply like, I don't know why they use months. It really doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. When in, not in the, the gay this community, is a thing, I swear in the gay community, whenever you're a younger gay dating an older gay, we call it creepy. So that's, <laughs> that's much easier to remember. Mystery solved. on. Um, I feel like everyone's like, like you're ageist. It's a joke. Relax. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was going to say with the uh, podcast, we're going to record for your show. I heard that, or you had expressed to me that you're really sick of seventies movies now. Can, okay. can you elaborate on that a bit as someone who hasn't I, seen a lot of... Yeah, I have... Okay, so the 1970s film is basically like... Well, it kind of like started with like Bonnie and Clyde, which is kind of the precursor to modern film and how we have like violence in film and how the dialogue, like Woody Allen really contributed to like the, the real sort of real dialogue of, of movies, obviously. So did Quentin Tarantino with Pulp Fiction in the nineties, but I'm saying that the seventies was kind of the precursor to modern film, how we experience it today. And in 2021, when you watch it, when you weren't born in the seventies and didn't grow up in the seventies and you watch a seventies movie with like the, 15,000 times better version of what the 70s started. Yeah, yeah. I find like the prototype. Exactly. Yeah. I find it very difficult to watch because I generally don't enjoy this the the pacing. I don't enjoy the way that they edit the stories. I find that they go too deep into like a character's emotional journey where it's like it's implied. I get yeah. it. We don't need to I don't need to see this. So, for example, um uh we watched um we did diane keaton's year fiona o'brien was my guest and um, we had uh marcia mason in the goodbye girl we had Anne bancroft and shirley mclean in the turning point we had jane fonda in julia and we had um oh my god who am i missing the point is is that all of these performances were so limiting to what women were like back then. Mm. And it's almost like, because it was a woman's picture, it's like, they didn't give a shit. And the worst is whenever I have to do like a supporting nomination in the seventies, because it's usually like a five minute performance in like a three and a half oh, hour God. movie. And it's like, Oh my God. And it's just the roles for women back then. And the reason why I'm saying this specifically is because my, my, my show is about celebrating women in film. But yeah. when you watch these performances from so long ago, for example, Ingrid Bergman won for murder on the Orient express. I actually like that movie for the record, but the thing is, is her performance is like five, Five, 10 minutes in like this two and a half, three hour movie. Yeah, and no, I actually like this movie, but what happens when you have to watch like a five minute performance in like a three and a half movie that you can't fucking stand? Oh, like, yeah. and so the seventies are not my favorite. I, there are some movies that I love. I love the exorcist. I loved, oh, yeah. um, 
Alice doesn't live here anymore. Um, there's there's many, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I, there are many movies that I enjoy from the 70s. But when you're going through this podcast and you're watching the female celebrated performances, oh my God, like just the roles for women at this time honestly weren't great. And a lot of them are category fraud. They'll be in a leading role, but they'll be in the movie for like 30 minutes. And you're like, are you a lead? Cause that seems like a supporting to me, but it's like, cause they didn't have anything better. Like American oh, graffiti, for example. Um, the, I can't remember the name of the, the actress that was nominated for American graffiti, but she did her own Oscar campaign and got nominated for a supporting role. She spent like a thousand dollars in variety, took out her own ad and successfully got nominated for an Oscar. Literally like good for you, bitch. But literally it's like Sally Kirkland in the movie, Anna in the 1980s. It was like, she did her own Oscar campaign. But the thing that I find so annoying about that is that, I feel like people were rewarding her for her her chutzpah, rewarding her for her her hustle that she actually went out of her way to campaign for herself. But if you watch American Graffiti, that was not an Oscar nominated or winning performance. It was like, mm. she was kind of like a funny little moment in the movie, but to be nominated for an Oscar for that, I don't think so. So watching 1970s films, frankly, they're not my favorite, but the episode that I have coming out next week with guest Matt Carter to promote his new album, uh, it's a 1979 movie, but the movies are great. I will give a recommendation. If you've never seen the movie, The China Syndrome, holy shit, no. great movie, great suspense. It's with Academy Award winner Jack Lemmon. That sounds like what Donald Trump would have called Corona. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's the got China the China syndrome. syndrome. That's right. Uh, <laughs> but seriously, check it out. It is a fantastic, fantastic All right, yeah, movie. Yeah, no, I, I will look it up. Um, I was going to say everything you were just speaking to about women in in cinema in the 70s. Have you noticed with like the 60s and the 50s that that was even even worse, I would assume then going even further back or. Not in the lead roles, okay. because there were women's pictures in the 1940s with like Olivia de Havilland and like Joan Crawford and Betty Davis and. Um, and Van Croft. Breakfast and, at Tiffany's. What's her name? Audrey Hepburn. Was Audrey Hepburn, Grace yeah. Kelly. They, 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 so there were like ingenue movies and mm. roles for women. And then in the 1960s, they had the hag exploitation, like whatever happened to Baby Jane and Straight Jacket and things like that. And uh, those I find very historically interesting. But there's just something about the 1970s aesthetics that I also don't like, because let's be honest, the 1970s was just one giant camel toe. And <laughs> like go, yeah. anybody that got married in the 1970s are going to have to explain those photos for the rest of their life. It's like, why do you look like Bob Ross dad? And like, mom, why do you have like a bandana on your head with like a rat tail coming down? Like what's going on? Like, it's just, I feel like the eighties were pretty bad too though, man. Like if we're talking oh, uh, the mullets oh, that's, and, that that like it, like it it's like a seventies Jew bush on their head was yeah. the eighties hairstyle like it's oh yeah the women's hair in the eighties was atrocious I like I've seen you know pictures that I remember being like a teenager and you know looking at stuff that was supposed to be hot or whatever you know because you're looking yeah. for some material when you're thirteen and anytime <laughs> I would see someone from the eighties it was like I can't get into this like look at the <laughs> hairspray like it's just ridiculous it's like uh, Marge Simpson almost you know. 100%. But now all the hipsters in Toronto, they're all trying to look like 80s, 90s. And I'm like, you look like you stink. I'm sorry, but you look smelly to me. Like the like grungy you... kind of look? Yeah. Yeah, not cute. Isn't I'm it not weird how that. everything just like cycles back through? It's like there's about a 20, 30 year fashion period cycle that seems to then just like regurgitate itself. 
Oh, I have given this much thought. So this is how it goes. So it's always a revival of the, okay. So the generation that you were born This is like a thesis now, okay. Yeah, no, 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 it's okay. (laughs) So if you were born in the 90s, okay, if you were born in the 90s, exactly at the end of one decade later, the generation that you, that was before, okay. So if you were born in the 90s, at the end of the 2010, so at 2010, you become interested in the fashion of the 80s. Oh, cool. Yeah, you can draw like a little chart up for this, because but I'm picturing it in my head. No, so now if you follow all like the kids on TikTok, if you were born in the 2000s, at the end of the 2010s in 2020, you become obsessed with the fashion of the 90s. Yeah, that's so true. It's this like nostalgia thing that they weren't part of, but like they had all the movies and they had like their parents dressed that way. They had all the photos and stuff. It's this like, it's this thing that I see all the time. Well, that's very interesting. And I do think that you could go back in different periods and that would apply, I think all the way through, but the nineties, I got to say, I think has extra pizzazz or whatever you want to call it, because I've talked about this. If you take the year, 1995 to 2005, like that decade, more dramatically transformative in human history, in my opinion, maybe not human history, but uh, digitally speaking, at least, and and socially than any other 10-year period that you could find. And that's maybe not accurate. I'm not a historian, but you go 1995, people are on like AOL. There's like maybe two games on your computer. And that's probably the main reason you use your computer other than maybe sending an email because it's cool because it's new to the average, like, middle-class family. And then 2005, you've got like iPods and, and, you know, even the Discman's are, are not cool anymore, which were only a few years ago at that point. I don't know. Spider-Man. Spider-Man was a big one. 2001, 2001. Yeah. That was, that was the beginning of um, the Marvel conglomerate juggernaut franchise that exists today. But the beginning of it was, with Spider-Man, with Tobey Maguire. Disconnected in the sense that none of that is actually MCU canon. So if I'm going to nerd out on you here, the MCU that we know and love today started in 2008 with Iron Man, with Robert Downey Jr., because that was the cohesive beginning to like the actual universe that we have on screen now. No, that well, sure. But no, no, no. It, oh, it's but there a, was many superhero movies before that, that kicked it off. Like the X-Men and Spider-Man at the beginning, turn of the century for no, no, sure. Because oh, Spider-Man, the reason why Spider-Man was the, the game changer, it was because it incorporated visuals that was established basically by James Cameron from Titanic in 1997. Mm-hmm. And when you saw this at the time, realistic, Holy shit, because when you think superhero movies in the 90s, you think Batman, Batman Returns. Yeah, which um, got progressively worse. Mortal Kombat. It's like yeah. they're very cheesy and it, it's you can see all the sets and the props where with Spider-Man, it was like this interactive experience where you would like fly around with him swinging. Through. Yeah. In terms of visual effects, it was one of the most groundbreaking moments in cinematic history. And from there it sparked the interest and began the like, okay, well, if we can do this with superhero movies, what else yeah. can we do? And then I'm, I'm sure the point that you're trying to make about Iron Man, I'm sure that it, that's where it just like became like a cluster. Well, that was when Disney explosion. came on board and Disney was like, yeah. Hey, we have money to do whatever the fuck you need. Um, but what you we were saying about the Spider-Man movie, I would say also that Spider-Man had its door open to it. As far as superhero movies, most people credit blade in 1999 as being the first 
uh, comic franchise that really did well. It did better than Spawn. It did better than a lot of these other ones. It, it was like, oh, people are hungry for this. And then the X-Men came out in 2000 and then Spider-Man was 2001. Yeah, X-Men is what, well, you know, whatever happened to Wesley Snipes? Everybody was, sorry? Oh, trust me, <laughs> that one that one lives in my mind rent-free. But uh, Wes, Wesley Snipes, what the hell happened to him? Did he go to uh, jail? Tax evasion or something. He went to the Slammer for like four to six years or something, I think. And but now he's acting is- again. Oh, is he? Okay, because he yeah. he was in Too Long Fu, Here's to You, Julie Newmar, where he played like a drag queen. Oh, yeah. And then he was like Blade. And I'm sorry, but like if a male actor can be like a drag queen, but also be like the manliest superhero in yeah. like fucking Vampire like, Hunter. Yeah, that is range. Like that's that's really impressive. Like to still be one of the guys, but to also still play a drag queen like yeah. that. That's good. <laughs> And he did uh, Demolition Man with Sylvester Stallone in the late 90s. He was like the bad guy. I remember that being pretty cool. I'm sure it's terrible if I watch it now, but I was young then. <laughs> you want to ruin it. Yeah. But there was like three Blade movies. And then I guess in the mid 2000s, I think, is when he got locked up for a bit. And then I most recently saw him in that Eddie Murphy movie, Dolomite, about the, um, hmm. there was like a 70s or 60s black exploitation star whose character was called Dolomite. It's all like based on real stuff. And uh, it was a great movie. If you haven't seen it, like check that out. If you like Eddie yeah, Murphy. I have a, I have a hard time with Eddie Murphy just because of like raw and delirious. I know, I know. He was so like homophobic, but like not even, but like not even like a joke. It was just like really hate crimey. Like the things that he would say. It was I like, know. Is this funny? But then yeah. when he was in um, Dreamgirls, he played like the biggest piece of shit, and then like afterward, you know, started doing other movies, and I'm like, yeah, like. You lost me at your comedy specials, but then like you also like were a huge piece of shit in a movie and you played it like a little too well. Uh. And also like (laughs) for the record, little, little gossip here. I'm not going to name names, but I am going to say that like, I know some people in the comedy industry and I know some people that knew Eddie Murphy in the 1980s. And I know that they knew Eddie Murphy's boyfriend. So that's all I'm saying. Oh shit. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. So it's just, there's so much like hypocrisy and like, and but isn't just, that always so true that the guys are the, the most homophobic are the ones that are wrestling with their own? Probably in a lot of the cases, they're not gay, but they can't even handle the thought of exploring that thought to make sure that they're not gay. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like they're so yeah. afraid of the concept of being gay. And I remember this too, when I was in high school and I had gay friends, I had nothing against gay people, but for whatever reason, I was afraid of like being gay. Like if that makes any sense, like I didn't have judgment against gay people, but it was more just like, especially back then, 2000s, you know, early 2000s, there things were not as open and, and as accepting. So I think I was more of afraid of like what it would be like if you were gay, you would be persecuted. And, and I already felt like sometimes I wasn't fitting in in high school in certain situations. So, um, but that's what I think a lot of homophobic people, they're more afraid of just like the concept of like, what if I was gay? But then a lot of them, I think if they explored it, they'd be like, well, no, I'm not. That doesn't really do it for me. And and then it would lose that fear. And then they could actually go hang out with gay people and not be like, you know, homophobic and, and dickish about it or, or petrified or whatever's going on in their brain. Yeah. But imagine if you were in high school and you are terrified of, oh, my God, what if I was gay? But then imagine if you are <laughs> and then you have, have to go through that. Through. Uh, since then, I was very young, obviously, when uh, 
when I, that may have crossed my mind, but I, at some point or another went like, no, like, yeah, I'll explore this thought. And I was like, you know what? No, I, I just know that I'm not, um, I probably know, but what I'm saying, but what I'm saying is that, you know, you get to sign off on that because you get to be like, well, I'm not, so I can move on. But then, you know, me, it's like, I was terrified and then I was, mm. and then you just go, fuck because you realize that the rest of your life is going to fucking suck because yeah wow um people it doesn't matter where like i travel strategically do you know what i'm saying uh, i only go to certain it. places of the world oh. i would only live in a major city i'm when i perform in small towns you know i've been attacked and you know you're not going to alabama exactly <laughs> <laughs> for my for my bible belt tour Plus but Calusa, literally here i come yeah but, you know, but that's the thing, though, is like I find a lot of people don't take that into consideration. It's like a lot of people are like, oh, you know, like and there's that fear of like, oh, well, what if I was and I, you think about it and stuff like that. But then what people have to remember is that like <laughs> but there are people that did have that fear and were that thing. And then it's like that for the rest of their life. And what that what that means as a human being in society, it's dependent on every country in Europe. It's way more accepted but it's still not there yet and you know i'm i don't i don't even know the point that i'm i'm trying to make but i am just saying like i find that a lot of people just kind of sign off in high school when they're like oh it's fine but then whenever they still use words like oh yeah. that's so gay or this person's a fag or oh my god like and they they have very problematic behavior but they say like oh i don't have a problem with gay people it's like well, you kind of do. It's yeah, like indirectly you, think you, you don't. do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't think I've ever been like that. Maybe I was lucky to, to make some uh, friends in that kind of community in my teen years and, and not be irrationally afraid of the gays or whatever, you know, like some of these people. <laughs> um, but no, I, I've never uh, been comfortable with like fag as a word. It always just seemed like so mean and derogatory. And like, obviously you're trying to say something negative about this person. I don't know why, just certain words, they take on those meanings. It's cultural. It's sometimes they just sound like little daggers, you know, and faggot, especially if you say faggot, it's like the mm -hmm. N word when you say it all the way, as opposed to like yeah. the cool way some of the rappers say it to each other. It's not with the Z at the end. It's not as biting of the ear. But if you say the N word all the way to me, fag, like if you said to one of your your other gay friends in a bar, like, oh, fag, I'm going to buy you a drink. Or like, I've seen gay guys do that. We're like, shut up, bitch. And, you know, um, that <laughs> wouldn't bother me. But if someone said like, it's like, it's the hard faggot, you know, it yeah. just sounds like bigoted. It sounds like a fucking idiot in my mind. I don't know. Well, I thought, well that like, I would never use that word unless it was in the bedroom. And oh, interesting. yeah, that it transition, it transitions just very nicely. And then uh, the, the word, the word that I find the gay community took back is the word queer. Mm. I don't really, I mean, I I'll use that word if that's how somebody wants to identify. I don't really use the word. It's queer. not a great choice. Cause generally like in other definitions, it means strange and odd and like, you know, yeah, but if that's how they took it back, they're empowering themselves uh, with okay. it because yeah, it was supposed to hurt them. And, shit. Yeah. I, I don't like, I mean, great, like good for you. Like if that's the word that you want to use then that's the word that you want to use. But for me, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's the same way I feel when I see like um, straight white girls just being like, oh, shut up, bitch. Shut up. Like, <laughs> I'm sure it's fun. But as a guy, I'm just like, you don't seem very intelligent. And, and maybe that's super judgy, but I don't it's the same. I don't like guys who are like, yo, you fucking douche. Like, I'm not right. one of those guys. I'm not like that locker room fucking. We got to always be like rough on each other to show that we're not sensitive. Like, fuck that. I, I don't know.
Yeah. Hang on a sec. I'm creating my own fantasy. No. Uh. <laughs> um, so yeah, talking about other stuff that uh, I really wanted to get, uh, you know, touch base with you on here. There's a documentary we were both featured in recently called comedy 19, the last laugh done by Scott Ross and Brown. And uh, I don't think either of us really knew him beforehand, but we were both really impressed with what we saw in the final product. Yeah, what I liked about the documentary was that like it was specific to Ottawa. It was a very specific documentary. I think that if you open it up to the whole country, that's a completely different documentary. And I like that it was specific to Ottawa. And um, I also just sort of really like that it, it kind of would go off into a different direction, but then it would return to the point yeah. of the documentary at the end. And um, it was again no shade to scott brown at all it's just i don't know him um and uh he came up to me I, I was headlining the ottawa club and he came up to me after and said hey do you want to be part of this it was all very last minute and then when i saw the documentary the one that was actually cut no shade i was actually surprised at how good it was <laughs> like it was very, very well done very I well done. the same way not knowing him when kelly and i watched it we thought like wow this is actually really well done there's some mm -hmm. great like aerial angles and from i guess drones or whatever like it was just very professionally put together and uh i'm excited to see what else he comes out with and when it releases i'm gonna you know make sure a lot of people see it but one yeah. thing i thought was really cool uh in what you were talking about in that documentary was just your experiences in performing during COVID. And like the funniest was you said you performed to a bunch of minivans at the beach. <laughs> yeah, by the sea, yeah. So like, what has that been like for you as someone who's like a professional comedian, just that shift into these weird scenarios that you have to do in order to, to do shows? Um, well, I'll take what I can get and I am not doing new material. So I'm just kind of doing old material because if you're performing for a bunch of minivans at a drive-in theater by the sea, you know, you're not hearing people laugh and yeah, they were honking their horns when I was performing at the drive-in. I told them to stop because I have really bad ADD. And if you start fucking honking at me while I'm trying to remember my joke, I'm going to forget. So I was like, fuck off. Yeah. And so it was just mostly silence unless someone really liked a joke and then they would honk. But otherwise it was silence. And um, it was me just going back and forth on stage, just reciting a set to no laughter. And um, that's not so stand-up comedy. That's not, no. it's it. I'll take, I'll take what I can get. It was a nice little payday. Um, I'll take, I'll take the gigs that I can get, you know, actually, can I say something? And I, it's going to sound like I'm, I'm bragging, but I'm not bragging. I'm kind of just saying that like, I'm very conflicted about this. <laughs> In 2020, I was the only comedian in the country that booked every JFL TV gig. Wow. I was the only one. Damn. So that means that for me, it was my most successful year in stand-up comedy, which is a really great feeling. But where I'm conflicted about it is that there were no audiences. <laughs> <laughs> so is this my strength yeah you know what i mean like it's, it's like i'm like awesome but like it wasn't the true experience but yeah. like awesome and 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 so uh this was such a crazy year for me but it wasn't what it could have been and jfl oh my god they went out of their way to make sure that like it was what it could be or like the best that it could be and i I'm so grateful to them. I'm so grateful for the work. Um, but the thing is, is that like, 
I don't think that it's a bad thing to say that a lot of the, I mean, the drive-in show, for example, like, you know, like that it was, it was fun because we got drunk for free. That was fun. But like performing for a bunch of minivans and you can't hear anybody laugh and stuff like that, you know, that's not stand-up. and JFL knows that. And they don't want to do that either, but it's like, we'll, we'll take what we can get and we'll work with whatever it is that we can what that we can. Yeah. And um, so I, I, I experienced a lot of the pandemic and performing in the pandemic and comedy in the pandemic. And um, yeah, I performed in a theater, like a huge theater with 50 people all sporadically seated. Which gives you the uh, mental image that like, there's not yeah, many people there. Yeah, that's right. And so the only thing that I am looking forward to, though, is that for the television stuff, from what I understand, it's going to be touched by an angel in post, you know, like there's going to be a lot of laugh track added. Oh, I'm well, assuming. Hey, but I, oh, honey, I am okay with that because then it's going to look like I fucking destroyed. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And if someone's watching it five years from now and they don't check the date, they'll just be like, oh, that was killer. You know, they yeah. won't even put two and two together. It's funny what you're saying about the honking, though, because I remember seeing certain comics on their Instagram or whatever doing similar type drive shows and i thought the same thing like we normally our brains associate uh, cars honking horn with like danger uh, you're about to die you didn't signal and like there's a truck gonna smash into you or like it's just so weird that that would be the you're doing a good job sound all of a sudden you know that's right I think, yeah i think i would react badly to that as well um <laughs> and uh, you also talked about how ottawa is like a great starting point for comics and mm -hmm. you know being sort of uh I guess, well, you, you can elaborate on that as well. Like, why, why do you think Ottawa is such a great place to-, to Well, I think gather? that Ottawa is the best city to start stand-up comedy in because Ottawa is not like Vancouver or Toronto. It's not a big city. If anything, it's just sort of like a town that we just like call a city because um, there is sort of that like small town mentality to it it's 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 very close to uh Van Cleek Hill or other like Moose Creek like small towns so you have the benefit of performing for a somewhat metropolitan audience but also a small town audience you work on the road a lot because like in Cornwall because that's really where you're going to perform and performing in Ottawa you have two of the best clubs in the whole country. And if you're good, you can get on to each one, like at least once a month. And that's professional stage time, which is invaluable because Toronto is just a lot of bar shows with like three people in them. Mm. I mean, what are you learning from that? Honestly, we've other got than more like, of those here now too. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, is, but what I'm just saying is that in Toronto, there's so many comedians that the clubs and the professional stage time are reserved for the pros. Yeah. There's maybe one spot for an amateur, you know? Yeah. So coming up and developing in a city where you can perform with all of the headliners in town that are from all over the country that are in the industry, you're getting industry experience, you're getting professional stage time, you're getting advice from yeah, the comedians, yeah. the networking, uh, it is the best city to start stand-up comedy in in my opinion a lot of people say that about calgary as well but um i mean for me i've never been there yeah yeah oh that's cool yeah and especially when you go to a place like cornwall or one of the uh outskirts they truly appreciate the opportunity to see a live comedy show because they don't get that very often and a lot of them are homebodies that don't really want to drive to ottawa just to see a stand-up show for a couple hours you know but it also humbles you. I mean, I remember the first show that I did in Cornwall was in a fish and chips slash ice cream shop. Mm. 
like you know uh, no, hello, the last Hollywood. episode I, I was just talking to my buddy terry we did a show his first time ever doing stage time and and one of my first and only features and it was at a curling rink in renfrew with a mainly like <laughs> senior audience that did not like my song about furries um or they just didn't get it because they didn't know what the fuck i was talking about sure <laughs> i mean that's the most canadian comedy thing that you can imagine like that's oh yeah People, I mean, the thing is, is America, we all look at American comedy, like that's stand-up comedy and that's the industry. And I think people forget that Canada has its own stand-up comedy industry and its own sort of culture. And it's a very different uh, landscape for, for performers and stuff like that, because you have to be able to perform for the letter Kenny crowd. Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to perform in like downtown Toronto. It's vastly different. Canadian, yeah. yeah. Canadian comedy is, is so interesting. It's so different. Yeah. Well, we've definitely exported a lot of greats from here too. John door. <laughs> well, John candy and uh, who else? I mean, the list goes on Jim Carrey, obviously um, I guess Howie Mandel. Dan Aykroyd, um, yeah, Mike McDonald, Norm, Norm McDonald. Yeah. Yeah. Mike McDonald. Oh my God. So many great comics from uh, Canada and Toronto and Ottawa and just Ontario, I guess in general. So many. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about something you did pre-comedy, which was you were like a really great visual artist. Yeah. Well, no, I, I had I never know, actually, right? <laughs> well, I had never seen your work. And then you posted something on Facebook the other day that was all these like magazine covers and stuff you had done. And it was a really unique style too. I don't know if there's a name for that art style. What's the Kyle uh, Brownery style? I don't know. Yeah, I'd have to put up pictures. I will, uh, when I edit this, I'll add some pictures with your permission, obviously. Um, just because I sure. think it's a really cool... Uh, cool take on visual art. And I wanted to know if you still dabble in that. I remember you telling me you had done like a friend's comedy album cover. Um, yeah. Um, well, like, okay. So when I was in high school, I was, um, well, just because this is behind me, I don't really care. I'd, I also like, don't really care that much about being like too humble. But when I was in high school, I was very good at visual art. Like, better than than the teacher <laughs> yeah actually yes like i was i was very it kind of ran in my family we have a lot of like visual artists in my family my dad oh, yeah. and my was very good and and his uncle was very very good so it kind of runs in the family a little bit so I, I i was i was very talented at a very young age and um there was a sheridan illustration program for for that purpose. I didn't, I can't do animation. It's too much repetition. I hate that. And I thought, well, I'm really good at this, so I should go to school for it. And that was my mistake because I was good at it, but I did not have a passion for it. I just did it because I was good at it. And mm -hmm. I thought, oh, well, this is the only thing that I'm People good at. Saying, so, good job. You're really great. And you're like, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I, I kind of just went into it. I worked really hard. I graduated first place in interpretive illustration at my grad show. I worked in the industry. I was an editorial illustrator. I did some stuff for Globe and Mail, National Post. I did a lot of food and wine magazines. I did some magazine covers. I'd done books. Damn. And the whole time that I was doing it, it's not that I didn't enjoy it. I just didn't have a passion for it. It's not something that I would ever do in my spare time. I only did it if I was being paid for it. Mm. And the pay for it was shit. It's less than stand-up comedy, if you can believe that. Wow. And I uh, worked my ass off. I used to I used to spend weeks on one image and you'd only get paid like $300. Oh, so you just kind of have to ask yourself like, who am I doing this for? Because- 
it's not that I don't like it. It's just that I don't have a passion for it and I don't really care about it that much. So I think I'm going to move on from this in my life and really stick to stand up. So this was in 2013, 2014 that I kind of just, yeah, I called it quits. I was, I was very proud of the work that I did. I was nominated for a few awards and um, I didn't win, but I was nominated and did you uh, um, drift away from it and then later find stand up or did, did finding stand up help you put it on the shelf? It was kind of like I was in the middle of it. I was in the middle of it, illustration. And then I started stand up and I had this little, oh, this is what I'm supposed this to be doing. This is joy. I actually like want yeah. to do it. Yeah. I was like, this is, I'm good at this and this is what I was supposed to be doing. Okay. Oh, and then... Yeah, I just slowly tapered off the illustration and I just did stand up and then I started working at a bar because, okay, when I started stand up, I was waking up at four o'clock in the morning every day to work at Starbucks. And then in the afternoon, I would have to work on some illustration contract and then I'd have dinner and then I would have like an hour nap. Then I would go to Absolute Comedy or Yuck Yucks and do a set or some show or some open mic or whatever. And then I would take like the 94 bus back to Lincoln Fields at like 1130, 12, go to sleep. And then I'd have to wake up again at like four o'clock in the morning and then do the whole thing all over again. And I did wow. that for almost a year and a half. And by the end of it, I was like, I was like, just, I couldn't fucking, I was like, I am so tired of this. So I, um, I, uh, at I just least kinda... you worked at Starbucks in the morning though, when you're that tired. <laughs> You got to get, listen, if you're a performer of some kind, you have to either get like a bar or a waiter job where you only have to work like three, four hours and you get tips because yeah. you get paid quite a bit of money and you're really not doing, it's very, you're doing a lot of work in like four hours, but then you go home. Well, and you can get better tips if you're someone with like a comedian's personality. A lot of the time you're not afraid to talk to people. You might be more like, you know, just fun, energetic type of personality that I think people appreciate when, when you're not like, here's your fucking ranch, you know, <laughs> not in Orleans though. Orleans. I find Orleans were the Orleans for me was the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, Cause I switched to a Starbucks in Orleans. I have never met more entitled white privilege, rude, selfish people that those customers that came in um, were what I would just simply bad people, rude, awful, inconsiderate, garbage human beings. You hear that? That's when, Kyle says, fuck you. No. Yeah. Oh, I, <laughs> I quit. I quit. I love when somebody gets offended by whenever I have some rant about Starbucks or the white women at Starbucks. Um, and they're like, you're sexist or, oh my God, like you're so racist against white people. First of all, calm your white fragility, you hypocritical piece of shit. Second Basic of all, niche. I'm talking about my experience and how yeah. dare you tell me that my experience isn't real and third of all if you don't understand the problem with white privilege you're the problem jessica like yeah, you need to open a fucking yeah. book and so yeah a lot of my a lot of my material does come from my experience and my anger and so <laughs> retail will give you lots of material oh yeah and then that's when i switched over to being a waiter and uh i was a i was a really good waiter actually i loved that job i loved being a waiter i loved it Oh, and then you started getting more normal amounts of sleep, I'm guessing. Oh, I remember the first shift I had. I woke up at eight o'clock in She's the like, morning. Ah. 
And I was like, whoa, <laughs> like I've been sleeping for days. Like it was amazing. This is what normal humans feel like. Yeah, no, dude, I can relate. Cause when I was uh, married in my early twenties with two young kids and I was working like as a security guard overnight and then my wife would work during the day. So I would be taking the kids later on in later years to school. And, you know, I was sleeping like four hours a day and mm -hmm. that's like hoping they would nap. And like, I lost my hair. Like I was like shaving my head for like three years. Cause I got alopecia just from like, um, not stress. taking care of myself. Yeah. My immune system wow. was all fucked up. And, and then sure enough, you know, when, uh, moved out of that cycle. And I mean, granted, I wasn't exercising and eating healthy and fasting and a lot of the other things I do back then, but I got to say sleep was probably the linchpin in keeping it together and fucking me over when I wasn't getting it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, okay. Well, I don't want to keep you too long, but I, I have been adding a new question this season. I don't know if you remember last season, I asked you your, what superpower you would want. Um, <laughs> so this season it's, if you could have dinner with someone that you've never met, dead or alive at any point in history, who would it be and why? I know there's a lot of choices, but. Oscar Wilde. Okay, interesting. Um, he's a brilliant writer, poet, playwright from Ireland. And he is one of the greatest writer. Like he's up there with Shakespeare, like kind of level of writing. And he uh, was um, imprisoned for being gay. And oh, really? um, even though he was, there are certain historical figures that were like one of the greatest people that contributed to like human culture and society that were punished for who they were. So for example, Alan Turing, who literally ended World War II was castrated because he's gay. It's Holy like, fuck. fuck you. We fucking saved your ass, you dumb fucking pieces of shit. But then That's they returned the favor by castrating him. Um, but Oscar Wilde, because he was hilarious, he was a quick wit, he was gay, he was in prison for being gay. I would love to hear his sort of perspective of his life and and uh yeah definitely didn't Oscar he Wilde. he died i like as kind of a depressed drunk guy right like if i if i what little he i know about to, him yeah he moved to france i believe after he got out of prison and his wife was cutting him off from like his, his allowance because no he had he had kids and like oh, was okay what well, but yeah. i mean he probably wasn't really into her in that sense right if he yeah. <laughs> no yeah. uh but he she cut him off financially uh because he couldn't because he was like you know an outcast of society and i guess he kept seeing men anyway and then she fully cut him off and then I think he died of some kind of like a flu or some kind of oh, like okay. a, I was going to ask if he took his own life or something. No, he was sick. He, he died pneumonia um, or something. And a priest had to come in whenever he was dying and he had to like, like ask forgiveness for like being gay and like, oh my God. yeah. So I, I, him, Oscar Wilde. That's a great choice. And I love how you actually came up with that really quickly. Some people <laughs> have made me feel like this was too broad of a question. So uh, yeah, I've been getting some great ones lately though. And thank you again, man, for talking. It's so awesome to catch up with you. And um, I hope to do it again sometime in the future, post pandemic, when you can come back to Ottawa and, you know, sit face to face again, that'll be awesome. Well, thank you for having me. Anybody listening, if you want to check out my episode of Humor Resources, yes. it's out February 9th on CBC Gem. That's official now? Okay, cool. Yeah, I think I'm like 90% sure February 9th, 9.30 CBC gem.
Okay. And it, it comes on TV too at that time, like once a week or is it only on gym? I have no idea. Yeah. My parents have cable. I'll ask them, but I don't know anyone else who actually watches TV anymore. <laughs> CBC uh, gym well, has I... some great stuff, but I got to say, I'm not a fan of the fact that like, I can only watch it on my phone. I keep trying to figure out a way to put it on the big screen. Cause I can't find it in the Xbox app store. Oh, um, I don't know. Maybe that's because don't I have you a... have, well, I have Apple TV. So that's how I watch oh, it. I don't. Yeah, maybe I can find it on my laptop and then use an HDMI. I guess I didn't try hard enough. <laughs> but uh, anyways, yeah, man, so so much um, congrats for all your successes and I hope the best thank for you in the future. Well, thank you for having me. I love being on the show and I will see you in March for my podcast. Oh yeah, fuck, I almost forgot. That's I'm so stoked <laughs> for that. I, my dad's putting them all on a USB for me now. So I'm going to try and do bang out like one a week. Great. Yeah, dude. So when will that actually go up? If we record mid-March, like what's your process time for? Let me see. So if we record. Man. You've done 23, I think, today. It would be. I do my research. Mar it, we've been out. We've been. Uh, it would be out March 18th. Okay, awesome. And when are we recording? I thought you said the 17th, the 14th, maybe? We're recording on the 16th. Okay, shoot me that date and time again then. Yeah, because I uh, don't want to miss this. All right, man. Well, thanks again. And. Uh, Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye.